at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we figured out how to record a podcast today. Don't we? Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. Also, TBT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you guys haven't been in this, uh, this nightmarish tech hellscape that we've been a part of, but uh, Dan and I, for the last two weeks, have been trying to figure out how to record uh, podcasts again since I got a Mac and now we're both on Macs and apparently I, I've never been on a Mac I'm on a Windows oh I thought you were on a Mac for some reason oh nope. uh, sh- what we should have done is just given you the software I used to use you know what I think we got it we're, we figured it out <laughs> I, feel, I feel pretty good about about this two-week process yeah I think uh, let's just never speak of it again yes and Ever. hopefully we won't have to like reset all of our stuff like we used to do every week this is true um, okay so, uh, a lot of stuff going on this week, Dan, so might as well jump into it. Um, to start, Syracuse released a new depth chart, and usually these are just kind of boring, um, especially under Dino Babers, who uh, I feel like has put almost as little stock into these things as uh, Scott Schaefer did, and yet, this depth chart had a lot to it, and uh, might as well jump in. We'll just go offense to defense. Um, I'll just kind of highlight the changes, uh, or at least the, the, the unique things that come up. Uh, number one, Cameron Jordan, uh, primary backup to Devin Butler. Uh, found that interesting, considering we have so many players who could potentially fill that role. Also saw, more importantly, that uh, K.K. Han, who's a walk-on, uh, backing up Jamal Custis inside. Uh, do you think that holds, or do you just think that's a random happenstance uh, for right now? Um, oh, I, I don't know what to think about that. Um... With the other, I mean, honestly, like across the board, our receivers are so varied. It doesn't seem like we have a lot of like consistency with where we are placing these receivers on the depth chart in terms of like size. Like KK Han's uh, a very tiny person. Or not t- he's, you know, he's 167 pounds, while Jamal Custis is a converted like tight end size person um, at six foot five. And then like even down the down the list, like Sean Riley and uh, Thompson Bishop are not very similar sized. Uh, Nike Johnson and Sherrod Johnson are not very similar size, so it just seems like it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of like the, the way the depth chart is laid out for receivers doesn't seem to necessarily mean where the number positioned on the um, on the field itself, or it doesn't necessarily mean that like they're going to be limited to like a spot or backing up a specific guy. I, I don't think that would make sense based on what we've seen. Um, but I don't know nearly about enough about KK Han to like tell you if he's going to be a player or not. But it is interesting that he is uh, in the two deep. Yeah, it's interesting to see him in the two deep, considering we have so many options. So either we have the best walk-ons in the country, or we or Dino hasn't seen enough out of some of these freshmen, the red shirts, and true freshmen, uh, to really slot them in there. I mean, keep in mind this is still, uh, you know, a depth chart that's coming together well before we even get into camp, um, and, and Dino really starts to install, you know, parts of this year's system. I mean, he's done a little bit of that. I know usually what forty percent of the install, fifty percent of the install gets done. Uh, between spring and uh, kind of this early part of the summer, and then the rest happens kind of in, in the summer into fall camp. So, you know, maybe he has more to see. I, again, I do like the size that Cameron Jordan brings. 
uh, Russell Thompson Bishop, same deal. Like they're just bigger guys, more physical. But like you said, like these guys really couldn't be more different. Custis being a much larger individual than KK Han. Uh, you can reverse that for the other inside spot between Riley and uh, RTB. Uh, Nakeem Johnson, I, I think, really does, and I said this in the uh, receiver preview article, uh, does kind of present the uh, maybe biggest um, you know potential in terms of you know jumping up and really becoming a playmaker right away for this team. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Also, a tight end, not to be forgotten, uh, Ravian Pierce, who I think is going to be this year's leading receiver. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, over on the uh, the offensive line, though, um, a couple things that that I believe we were we were kind of convinced of have been shifted around a little bit. And again, this is also something that could change by kickoff. Um, Aaron Cervais, he uh, he moves back to center after spending most of the spring at offensive tackle. Uh, Coda Martin slots in at right tackle. Um, I I still think this ends up shifting. I still think that, that Heckle ends up that center, but it is interesting to see uh, Heckle and Roberts get the ORD designation um, at left guard. I don't know if that's a product of Roberts still potentially like easing into things from his injury, or if for some reason um, Heckle really is giving him a battle and they really do like Cervais's, uh you know, progress at, at the center position after some hot and cold kind of starts last year. Yeah, the Roberts-Heckle thing is the first thing that jumped out to me because Roberts, you know, before the injury was... Um, if not our number one, like our solid number two offensive lineman. I think he was probably our best lineman entering last year. And the fact that Heckle is, you know, in the running there and, and you know, kind of designated as the co-starter at, the, at this point, um, I would hope is a good sign. I hope it's more about Heckle's play than it is about Robert's injury. Um, but overall, like, I mean, we, talk, we talked about a decent amount, but, like, it, it's very nice to see. I, I mean, I, I'm looking at seven offensive linemen in the, in the five uh, starting positions that I'm pretty comfortable with, at least in terms of their their um, their experience. Uh, yeah, uh, including Martin and then both right guards and the top two at left guard. So who knows how it shakes out and if survey sits at center. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, different spots where we can move here. But um, And I'm not totally surprised to see Martin take over a starting job. I thought that was, uh, he was under every opportunity to do that after transferring in. But overall, like, I feel pretty good. We have seven guys with, with a lot of playing time. At, uh, Eight guys, you want to throw seven. Byrne in there, too. Well, I guess Byrne yeah, is one of the seven. Of well, Byrne's one of the seven. Clark is probably the guy who's most ready to start. Mike Clark is, yeah. All right, so that, that would be number eight. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel, I, I feel as, as we've always said, like we need to see this offensive line do it, and we saw it a little bit last year. Obviously, the Clemson game was a highlight. And we saw it mostly in the first half last year uh, before teams started, you know, just bum-rushing us uh, with, with all the injuries. But right now I feel about as good about, as, about this offensive line as I have since uh, probably the last team that went bowling, to be honest. Yeah, 2013. I, I definitely agree there. I mean, you look at the size with these kids too, and this is where I think the big change goes from, like, the back end of the Marone era until – like what happened during the Schaefer era, you look at these guys, and some of these are All Schaefer. Yeah, some of these guys are Schaefer recruits, admittedly, but look down this list, and you've got what four, five. You had five guys who were six six or, or, or taller. That's insane. Everyone's over six four basically, except for Keaton Darney. He's six three, so like, and he's a walk on. Yeah, and he's a big walk on. Um, yeah. but everyone, I mean, it's very obvious here. Obviously, Adams is a little bigger. He's at three twenty six, but. Looking at the the first the top three like almost everyone here is in like the sits four to sit six and then like two ninety to like three oh five range and that's 
that seems to be the sweet spot for where uh, Vapors like to start with linemen, which makes sense with the pace at which uh, the team plays. Like, you want leaner guys, and you want to be able to move up the field and, and get set and get snaps. Um, the height thing is interesting to me. I don't know that there's a lot to it. I mean, but it, it's just a very tall offensive line. I don't know if that, that has any real impact or if that just kind of happens to be how we are. But that, that is, it, it's kind of striking because usually, you know, you have, especially in college level, you have a couple guys that are like 6'2". True. And yeah, I mean, you would know better than I would in terms of linemen. I would think that having a little bit lower center, to gra- center of gravity is at least a bit better because then somebody can't get up under you um, as easily on a block. Uh, yeah, it definitely helps. Um, usually you want to see, like, you, not want to, but usually you'll see the taller tackles and the shorter guards. Okay. Adams being at guard is interesting, but also in the college game, like you want to get your five best guys there and, and you're not going to worry as much about like those specifics because there can be a pretty large range in terms of uh, ability. So you want to get your five best on the field um, as long as you're center in that pace and snap. Fair enough. And that is kind of, I mean, without knocking surveys too much, that's kind of going to be the one challenge for him, I guess. You saw, not that he was a bad snapper overall, but that, that the exhaustion did start to set in from the pace of play, from the fact that he was not playing his natural position. You definitely saw some of that as the year went on. I think just the, the raw time he's been there now will hopefully alleviate a lot of that. I mean, the snap, snapping is just like, that's very much a skill and, and just like rote, rep, uh, repetitive, um, just taking all those reps at center now, I hopefully means a lot. Like just even in the off season, um, I assume he and Dungey have been working like nonstop basically since Dungey's come back from his injury. So hopefully it's much less of an issue this year. Um, and if it is like, we obviously we have the, the flexibility to make a change there. Right. And uh, I guess not to bury the lead, but really the defense is going to be the story of this. I know we talked a little bit about the offense more because I feel like it's, it's been the highlight of the Bayers era, at least till now. Um, defensive line looks as it has uh, on the step chart for the most part. Um, but then you go into the back seven, and that's where things change a bit. To little fanfare, um, at least in the, uh, in the media guide that was released today, um, Syracuse is switching to a 4-2-5 uh, base, yeah. base nickel scheme, which, to be honest, um, I feel like you and I did talk about a little bit last year as something that could potentially fix this. Um, it makes sense for the for the, the, the roster we're running out there right now, I think. Yeah, you know, it makes perfect sense. I'm honestly just more surprised than anything um, that, that the two linebackers that are going to be in this scheme are Whitner and Guthrie and not uh, Guthrie and Armstrong. It's a little surprising based on the size. Like, we're, we're going to be very small in the, back, in the back seven here. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for those who aren't looking at the media guide uh, like we are, uh, you got Whitner uh, playing weak side. Uh, got converted safety. Yeah, converted <laughs> safety, which which is exactly why I thought that if we did play nickel, this would be the perfect way to do it. Um, but yeah, Whitner's going to play weak side. Guthrie's going to play middle linebacker. Uh, you're going to have Cordy, who um, I thought it was a good move, and the more I saw Julian Wiggum's uh, analysis, it seemed like an even better move. Nickel's going to allow him to really operate the way he did uh, within the Babers system, except closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, I, so I feel like, to be honest, like if you're going to use Cordy um, anywhere, this is really it. Um, and we might actually see him probably used as best as he has been since 2015. Yeah, I expect with him in that spot, I expect he's just going to be kind of a roving playmaker. Yeah. Um, we actually we have to see it. But usually when you see like a designation like this, like he'll be lined up in the nickel, but also you could see him drop back deep if we're playing a, a big offense and it over the top. We could see him come up the line of scrimmage. We, I bet we'll see him blitz a decent amount with his explosion. I'm not ready to like say that we're going to use him like Michigan Ninja Girl Peppers, but that's like the most obvious 
example of like a, a team going four two five a lot and then just sticking a playmaking um, safety, just having him go all over the field and just do different things and do different looks. I I, I like the I like the flexibility it gives us. I like the um, unpredictability it gives us, um, which is not a you know considering we still have some weaknesses in this defense. I think having kind of a being able to create some havoc, which was something we have not done under these with the Babers. Uh, quote the Babers defense, but the Babers era defenses um, versus like what Schaefer was able to do even in the bad years. Um, hopefully, this helps us make more plays, which is something we really need. Yeah, make more plays and in particular uh, force more turnovers. What uh, what this defense has lacked in the last couple of years is really an ability to flip the field. Um, I feel like at one point Dungy was the only player to force a turnover in like a five six game stretch. Uh, yep, <laughs> which is just bad. And in, of an interception, which is not ideal. No, but props <laughs> to him for wrestling that one out of a. I forgot who it was on Miami, but I, I know he pulled that one off. I just feel like in general, um, being able to flip the field, um, and that's where Cordy comes in, does make this offense a lot more palatable for pe- to run because if you're able to flip the field like that, if you're able to score quickly, um, for teams that don't play at your tempo, it forces them to play at your speed very quickly. If you're able to score quickly and gain a, a double-digit lead right off the bat, um, suddenly a team is, is you know behind the eight ball for the rest of the time. Uh, you can really you know kind of put your foot on the gas for the first two three quarters and and you know Syracuse kind of started slow last year and then spent the back half of the second quarter and the third quarter. Um, really kind of pouring it on that fourth quarter was kind of where everything started to fall apart again so if you suddenly create uh you know some momentum building exercises like we haven't really seen under babers uh that's where everything can really change and i hope it does here um some of the other notes uh because cordy moves out of the safety spot uh you end up with andre cisco who uh has only been on campus for a few months uh at the starting uh, safety spot, Evan Foster will keep his spot at the other for now. Um, he's backed up by uh, Eric Coley, who's the son of Vincent Reynolds, um, as well as uh, Cam Jonas, another true frosh. Um, at the corner spots, Scoop Bradshaw and Chris Frederick come back. Um, but you're seeing a bunch of freshmen come up here. Um, you get a red shirt and uh, Fitu Melifonwu. You get uh, Cisco and Jonas, as mentioned, Trill Williams, um, another freshman. Uh, Carl Jones has seen some select time in the corner. I really do like what this group brings potential-wise, um, even if we don't really know what we're getting out of them beyond probably Bradshaw, Fed- Frederick, Cordy, and uh, and I guess Foster to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I think this is that's going to be like the best guys going to play no matter what. And honestly, like the results have been so poor, I don't know that just like getting some of these freshman experience right off the bat and making them compete for for playing time, which I think can happen in a lot of these spots, especially with Cisco already penciled in. Um, is the worst idea. Like, we're not going to get that much worse, I don't think. So let's see what the what the, the big recruits like we have, like Williams and Sisto, can do. Um, I think they're two of the more exciting players we have coming in across the whole roster. Uh, and then hopefully we the experience we have on the outside with Bradshaw, with Frederick, uh, with Cordy when he's on the on the outside guarding um, can kind of help out with that the, the back end stuff, which is going to be, uh, it might be a little bit of an adventure, but uh, I think the upside is definitely there. Yeah, and you know what? Like we we don't necessarily wade into the season lightly. Uh, going on the road at Western Michigan uh, doesn't doesn't spell easy game, but I think it's still easier than some maybe some of the uh, past FBS opponents we've had to start the season. And the last time we started against an FBS team was Penn State back in 2013. But still, like 
I, I do think that, that the Western Michigan game could be a good proving ground for a lot of these kids uh, right off the bat. We get Wagner the next week, and then we get thrown to the fire against Florida State. Um, I think that's actually, considering these questions around Florida State secondary, uh, we'll get into the schedule, obviously, later in the offseason. But given the questions around Florida State secondary, I do think that uh, that's not a bad time to get the Knolls, especially at the Dome. Yeah, because their quarterback situation is also like still working itself out. I don't know if they'll even – I mean, there's a good chance they won't even have DeAndre Francois based on some of his, his legal issues, and he might not win that job anyway. So Florida State's definitely going to be a work in progress, so I, I don't mind getting them when we get them either. Agreed. And uh, if you're looking, I guess, if SU is going to upset somebody this year, uh, I think Florida State and Louisville are kind of the, the one and two there. I, I, th- I think Florida State's a top 25 team. Uh, I don't think Louisville is this year. I know some people are kind of back and forth there. Vegas seems to think they can win eight games. I don't buy that for a second. But, yeah, maybe. I guess I think that's very reputation-based. I think Louisville's an eight-win team, and that's just what they're penciling in. Right. Yeah, like Lamar Jackson is not, is not a small you know, thing to remove from your offense <laughs> or defense yeah, or really just know. your team in general. It's, it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a, the type of thing where you can just replace him. And I, I don't necessarily buy Juwan pass to the extent that he can, he can replicate even half of, of Jackson's production. So uh, I, I think Louisville would be top of my list in terms of teams we can upset at the dome, but in terms of top 25 teams, um, I think we might only end up facing three of them this year um, in Florida state, uh, Clemson and uh, Notre Dame. Is Florida State even in the top the preseason top twenty five? Most chance of them are not in it to begin the year. Most of them. Who are they? Who are they face to start the season off? Oh, Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, they have that season opener against Vatech, and then they have Samford. So yeah, if they lose to Vatech, they're out. Um, but if they beat Vatech, they'll definitely be probably around the fifteen to twenty range. Clemson will probably be in the top five. Um, in all likelihood, Notre Dame could be anywhere from five all the way down to probably twenty, depending on NC what happens. State could be in the top twenty-five as well. I don't buy that. I mean, they could be. <laughs> I, they could be. I mean, theoretically, sure, but uh, that defense needs to fix itself, and I don't necessarily know if um, that's all going to be sorted out uh, at all this season. <laughs> Uh, ACC football kickoff started today. Uh, Coastal went first this year. Atlantic goes on Thursday. Um, I don't know if you guys are going to hear this before we get to uh, get to Babers being on with Dungy and Slayton, but you know, whatever. Uh, worst case, th- just see this as, as a as a rundown of probably what will happen for SU and also a recount of what did happen on Wednesday. Uh, Larry Fedora was an idiot um, today on uh, I'd say. Schaefer Isis levels of uh, of insanity, talking about uh, the attack on football, the fact that CTE was not really proven. Apparently, uh, he did mention that that kids shouldn't start playing until middle school, which I do agree with. Um, but he also um, talked about that if football goes, America goes with it. Um, That's like a li- literal thing he said. That wasn't like a thing he inferred. Yeah. That's a thing he said multiple <laughs> times. Yeah, he, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the article on the blog, you know, football is America, uh, change is bad. Uh, therefore, like, we, we somehow end up at the troops as well, where, uh, where Larry Fedora claimed that our troops are the best in the world because we have more football than everybody else. Um, I wish I was kidding about any of this. No one ever tell Larry Fedora <laughs> about the military-industrial complex. He doesn't think that's a thing. All of the military might in this country is because football exists. 
I mean, always in the gates. Where Going is... back to the days of George Washington <laughs> because of football. Where Rutgers is... is the sole reason why America is the superpower it is today. Which that might explain recent times. <laughs> anyway. Some, somewhere in Murfreesboro, Scott Schaefer definitely shed a tear while, while reading the comments today. <laughs> somewhere in Murfreesboro, Scott Schaefer is listening to this podcast and like biting his way through like a leather belt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. You know, I mean, I know Fedora, especially with the beard, looks like he's from Jersey. Um, but he's from Texas, uh, College Station, proud military town. I, man, I just, I don't have a solution for him here. I think, I, I think college football and football in general can be saved just by way of being smart and caring about the players. Um, as I mentioned in the post and I mentioned on Twitter, uh, Fedora clearly doesn't care about the players and is in just clear denial about um, the, the, the dangers of playing football. Um, you can coach football and care about the players, and you can coach the current game while also talking about how it can be fixed and adapted and adjusted. Um, there's plenty of coaches that do that in, in, in both large and, and small ways. Um, to see him just kind of be a, a CTE truther here is a, is a strange turn of events that I, I, I wouldn't recommend for anyone on, on Thursday's session, though I'm sure if somebody wants to go Dabo into this conversation, I beg of you, please do it. Ooh, Adazio could definitely do it. Oh. Adazio could easily one up him here if he really wants it. I don't think Adazio wants it because I feel like I feel like somebody's already dragged him into the athletic department office. And, and <laughs> they've already they've already like had the conversation whether or not they should like fake him fake him being sick. Like Steve, just 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 say dudes a bunch of times. That's all you have to do. Just, he just says one prolonged dude for 15 yeah, minutes. Just says dude. He doesn't take any questions. Mentions AJ Dillon. That's, just way too long for Vine. Oh. Just, like, I have no worries about Babe saying something that dumb. No. Um, definitely not Taggart. Um, he's going to be too too busy selling. Um, I'm trying to think of... What, Doran... He's. I think Doran has been bailed out by the fact that Fedora, Fedora already did it. So like, his fans be so mad about it that like <laughs> he, he already got the message. Right. Um, Clawson, no, I don't see it. Um, Dabo definitely could, but he has so much goodwill. He could somehow spin it into people just not caring. Well, the Dabo, the thing with him is that you could you could roll this into, like. Fedora went into Dabo's wheelhouse of, like, he was, like, a step away. Because, like, you know, Dabo's all about the war on Christianity. He didn't, he didn't bring up religion. No. Like, at least directly. Right. He brought up, like, the religion of football in America. But... So he, he was, he was knocking on Dabo's door. Yeah. He and Dabo <laughs> were definitely in the same neighborhood. He went in a slightly different direction. If he had said the word Jesus, we would have been, like... Dabo would have been the one shedding the tear in Murfreesboro for some reason. Um... Yeah, we were close. Who am I missing? Uh, I think that was that was everybody. Daz, Taggart, Dino, Clausen, Dorn, and uh, yeah, that was that was everybody. You got all of them? Uh, yeah, that was all of them. Yeah, so it's definitely Dabo, but he's Dabo, and he has that weird like charm, so he wouldn't matter. And he's success, and he did go three and nine last year, and. Uh, then Adazio is definitely the number one. Adazio could say something real dumb tomorrow. I don't know if he could hit Fedora levels, though. That was all time. 
Like the <laughs> fact that the fact that it, yeah, I didn't hear a damn thing from SEC Media Day today, but I heard a lot of things from ACC Media Day today. Which is a first. All you need to know. That is a bad sign if you're the ACC. Like you want that, but you really don't want it because you know what that actually means. Yeah. So um, we got a couple minutes here till halftime. What a I'm, I'm putting up an article in the morning that's going to kind of spell out the like big questions that Babers is going to see. Um, number one question, obviously, being about Eric Dungy's health, and I think Eric also sees that question. Uh, the defense is going to be a hot topic. I think the, the next upset victim conversation that we just brought up was going to be a conversation as well as um, I'm sure somebody might joke about some nepotism uh, when it comes to his son-in-law, Coda Martin, grabbing that right tackle spot. Anything else that you see here? Um, as like some big questions that Babers is probably going to be asked on the serious end. I'm also going to be adding some joke questions that, that we would ask if we were in, in attendance. I think you pretty much hit on it. Dungey is the headliner always. Uh, his health is, is like 1B there. Now, luckily, he doesn't have to worry about, I mean, he'll, he'll have to answer, but he, he isn't coming off a head injury, thank God, considering, especially considering what happened today, Wednesday. Um, but, you know, he will have to answer the health stuff, which, which you get, and you're always going to get that. The defense is the one I'm looking forward to because this this four two five announcement like really just it didn't come out of nowhere nowhere but like we we didn't expect this to be like a completely on the depth chart uh, change I don't think so uh, I'm really looking forward to hear the rationale behind it uh, even though I think we kind of get it in terms of like looking at what what's going on here but I want to hear what Dino has to say about it for sure um, who else is going besides Dungey like is it Cordy Ah uh, Slayton okay. Um, yeah, I, I want to hear more about the defense. I think with the offense, like, we have, obviously, there are questions with at receiver, but um, the, the defense is, is such a big deal this year, um, as, you know, it always is half the game. But um, there, there's so much riding on the defense taking that next step forward. Uh, and with these big uh, system changes, I, I, I think that's really where my attention's going to be. And then beyond there, like, uh, I, I, I think, you know, the, the um, questions about Martin... Uh, are legitimate. I think when you bring when you make the moves that Babers made this offseason, I think you invite those, and he should be asked those. So, I have no problem with Toto Martin uh, being you know penciled in here because he does have talent. He is from Texas A and M. Like it's not like he came from nowhere. But when you make the hire that he did and you made that transfer that he did, like you invite questions, and I think Babers should hopefully answer them without being like too snippy. Like I think Babers should just lay it out and say, you know, this is why I did this, and. Just understand that people are going to always have those questions when you when you make moves like that. Of course, and I think you know it depends on how the questions are framed too. If they're not accusatory right. and they're more about like, hey, like, is it weird, like you know, coaching your your son-in-law? Like, I feel like feel like that's a way to go in with him that you're going to get like an entertaining answer, like a Dino and, answer, and hiring your daughter's father-in-law. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, it's it, they're legitimate questions, and and I think we I think we get them from a football standpoint. Like, there are definite football reasons to do both those things, but. I think you have to just lay it out there very plainly and say this was, you know, all about football. We have we happen to have this relationship, but you know, it's not like we were just hiring some random dad and his son. Like, it, I, I just hope he answers those and, and takes it with like understanding that the questions are legitimate and doesn't like snap off. And and not that Babers does that that much, but you know, we've had moments. Um, I just hope he handles it well because uh, and even if he doesn't, like, it won't be the story of this of this AC media days. But thank you, Larry. You know, <laughs> Yes, thank God. Like, I can't imagine what will have to happen tomorrow to upstage Fedora. Right. Um, probably not. I just can't. There's nothing, really, uh, unless someone goes, like, absolutely bonkers. But, um, yeah, overall, I just like to have a very clean 
uh, experience here. And I think Babers is like almost always Nazis out of the park, relatively at least. So well, everyone loves um, him. I think this is going to be. I think that he's still as long as he keeps upsetting teams every year. There's always going to be a little bit of love for him. Uh, he also. I he, think this year is going to be the. This is like the honeymoon like breaking right. point year though. I think he's had an extended honeymoon because of two upsets. Uh, I think rightfully so. There's like some. There's there's legitimate like he really needs to prove it this year. Um, I don't know that it's bold or bust, but I, I understand why that might be the the notion for a lot of people. It's five wins or. It's five that wins, is, or people start getting a little nervous. Yeah, I mean, if they go four and eight again, like I think the nerves are very legitimate because right. then it's been like a real chunk of time. And coaches just aren't on the on the uh, they're not they don't sit around as long as they used to. Like they don't get the same leash. Um, you, it used to be that you got four or five, five years just by default because that was the amount of time it took to get all you know to basically flip the entire roster. That's just not the case anymore, right or wrong. So. Um, yeah, I think he's in a fine place. I'm not, I don't think Babers is anywhere near the hot seat right now, but I think this year you need to see – there needs to be, like, a very obvious step forward versus, like, you know, having to really cry for it. I agree. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll have plenty more on that when we get to, like, the season preview episode, which is going to be a uh, its usual hour-and-a-half extravaganza come August. Always fun. Always. Uh, it's actually that – that's usually our most listened-to episode of, this, of the year. Even more so than the basketball one. Not because we don't know about basketball, just because people would ra- know that, that football is the, is the topic that you and I are going to be able to, to just riff on at a, at a knowledgeable point for any amount of time. Yeah, I, I don't blame them. I think, uh, <laughs> I, and there's also just less football. I mean, there's not like a, a total dearth of football content, but like Syracuse basketball, you can find some stuff. Right. Like, it's not hard to, to find the stuff you need there. Football... Where it is more to cover, and <laughs> yeah, and also there are fewer places like covering it in depth. Yeah, not that Syracuse.com doesn't do a fantastic No, of course. Job. Yeah, your your choices for Syracuse football content are, uh, for the most part, Brent, Nate, Stephen, Chris, you and me, and and then and and then obviously some others here and there. But if you're looking for like originating content from places, those are kind of like where the original content's coming from. And the occasional, like, David Hale talks about talks to someone, or, like, the one Richard Johnson piece from last year. <laughs> Which was still good. Which is great. Yeah, it was great. And we hope we get more of those. Agreed, agreed. Um, all right. Why don't we hit some halftime and then talk about um, our least favorite conference, probably, the Big Ten. Um, that's, that's shade number one of many, I'm sure. Uh, Dan, what have you been drinking since we, uh, since we last spoke? Um, so I, I definitely had a, a decent amount of things. I think I was not too great about keeping my up, my untapped uh, updated, but I was in a, at a wedding in Vermont last weekend, or two weekends ago. I don't remember where we are here in, in history. We, uh, we haven't spoke since July 5th. Okay. Yeah, so, so the weekend after that, I was at a wedding in Vermont, um, and so I had a, lot, a decent amount of Vermont stuff. The wedding had mostly Lawn Trail, which is fine. I think Lawn Trail is a solid brewery. Um, so I had their Lontrail Ale. I think I also had one of their IPAs. I'd say the most notable things I had, which uh, one of them was very new for me, one of them was not, but is great. Um, I had a uh, Green by Treehouse Brewing, which is uh, from Massachusetts, one of the better breweries in Mass. Big fan. Um, yeah, their IPAs are very, very, very good. Uh, super juicy. Um, Green's is rock solid. It's probably not even my favorite IPA from them, but I will drink it anytime I can get my hands on it. Uh, and then the highlight of the actual... Vermont uh, weekend 
was uh, from Drop-In Brewing, which I believe is from up there. Um, looking. But yeah, it's in Middlebury, Vermont. Um, I had their Tart of Lothian, which was a super interesting um, Scottish Ale Sour Blend. Uh, and then it also had these like really nice, uh, not overpowering coffee notes, but it was also super drinkable. Uh, none of that makes any sense, but I, but trust me, it, it was all of those things. And it was definitely one of the more unique, uh, really, really good beer experiences I've had recently. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like, uh, I like all those conversations. Um, okay. Things I was drinking. Um, one thing right out of the box that was uh, that was very surprising to me. Um, I was at a Greek restaurant and tried a uh, Macedonian Thrace brewing uh, Hellas. It's a Euro Lager, and it was actually pretty good. Like a better Stella, but like toastier. Um, not like an everyday drink, but something that you could easily just like kind of drink a few of if you're out in the heat. Um, had a uh, Smog City Farmhouse Rocks Saison, uh, Pizza Port, and uh, Stone comboed for a uh, really good pale ale uh, called BFF, Beer Friends Forever. Uh, really fantastic beer. It's only hanging around, I think, like 5.9%. Um, it killed off the rest of my uh, Luponic Distortion, uh, Revolution Number 10s. Uh, also stopped down at a Ballast Point in uh, Long Beach, hadn't been there in a while, and had an Aloha Sculpin IPA uh, with a lot of like, kind of mango, guava, pineapple notes. Um, and then had a, a Cheers to Old Grove IPA from them, which uh, was just kind of like a, a nod to some of their, their old school IPAs that they uh, used to make more of down in, uh, down in San Diego. So not a ton of drinking on my end, but, but some here and there. Yeah, I feel bad because I definitely have missed some recently uh, on Untapped, which I'm usually on top of, but uh, hopefully I'll remember those, or at least you know have more by next week. I got some faith. Yeah, I... Uh... Might rely on you to, to, to carry the baton next week because I'm, uh, I'm going to be in Palm Springs this weekend. It's going to be like 112 degrees. So I'll be drinking uh, things on the lighter end and probably a lot of them. That certainly makes sense. Indeed. Um, okay. So now we are moving on to the Big Ten. Um, this is like not at all like the, the ACC because we have... Uh, we have a very large, well, not large, but we have, we have like a four to five team top, maybe a four team top, and then there's just like a very small middle class and then a lot of trash. So that's, uh, that's kind of what the ACC used to be. The Big Ten has now taken up that baton. Um, I don't know, Dan, where do you want to start here? you want to start at the bottom and briefly mention the teams just so we do it, or would you rather start at the top? Oh, we can start at the bottom. Sure. Um, okay. Teams that exist. Um, Illinois, Rutgers, um, Minnesota, and Indiana. You put Maryland ahead of them? Yeah, I'll put Maryland ahead of them. I think Maryland... Yeah, Nebraska been... is a work in progress. Yeah. But Nebraska I... will be out of this range soon. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think Nebraska is above them still. I think Maryland but... has recruited really well, and I really don't love the fact that we have to face them next year. Yeah, um, there's obviously, I don't know, I, I think they definitely have recruited quite well. I, I don't think it's totally translated yet, but I also think, like, they're always going to be very bogged down with that division. Same with Rutgers. Like, people are predicting, like, a pretty big step forward for Rutgers, but, like, it's going to be very hard for them to, to make really a make game. a show on the record. Because you get, you start off the season with a minimum of four losses. Yeah, unless you pull up huge upset, but this year, like, 
is not the year. Rutgers might be decent. I don't know if they're going to beat any of those top four teams. It would be a very big upset if they did. Yeah. So that's how this division goes. Um, so if you want to, we can complain about Syracuse's place in the Atlantic, but it could be worse. We could be, we could switch places with Rutgers in the Big Ten East, and then know that that we're starting 0 and 4 at minimum. And some years you you get screwed and you have to face Wisconsin. So there's five. And then then there's the rest of your schedule, and you have to hope to God you win all of those games. Yeah, at least in Rutgers' case, they 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 pulled this, they made the schedule uh, about as easy as they could. Otherwise, besides those the uh, the conference, they have Texas State at Kansas and Buffalo. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, the the Kansas stuff is the type of game that I wish we we were seeing more of. Um, obviously, SU's done a better job of late of uh, of scheduling the non-conference. Uh, but Rutgers uh, and some other schools have really done a smart job. I think BC got Kansas on the schedule too. Um, just just wrapping up the Jayhawks because they're just they're they're just so far away from being competent that uh, it's definitely smart to schedule that team as much as you can. Rutgers understands its place in the world. It's not. It's really. I'd say Rutgers is probably on par with Syracuse in terms of progress right now. But SU has a much better chance of uh, of seeing that progress. Um, in terms of a bowl game than Rutgers does just yet. They're basically like mirror images of each other. Um, I'm looking at Bill C's numbers. Bill C has a projected, uh, the split between offense and defensive ranking, he projects them to have the 29th best defense and the 119th best offense. That is not radically different from, I I don't know what the, I forget what the Syracuse projections are, because I know the article came out this week. Um, I guess he was probably between 40 and 50 on offense, if only because the, the team has not been overly efficient. Yeah, that's the big... The, the numbers don't love SU's offense. I know that. But, like, if you told me that Syracuse had, like, the 29th best offense and the 119th best defense, I'd be disappointed with the defensive number in year three, but I also wouldn't be, like, the most shocked. He actually has... It's actually... Uh, it's actually interesting. He has a 56 and 82. I buy that. I, I think, you know, you, you want the offense to be higher, and it probably will because it doesn't take injuries into account. Um, yes. And so, so if it could, it would have us higher, I think. And again, it, it's all about efficiency, too. Like, production is one thing, efficiency is another, and SU has not been overly efficient. Um, we we kind of talked about this, this divergence of, uh, of Rutgers and Syracuse identity-wise, um, you know, when they made the hires they did. I know Chris Ash was kind of floated, whether or not that was real. Could have always been a trial balloon. Um, most SU fans were not necessarily thrilled with the idea of hiring Chris Ash, self-included. Um, because he was uh, someone who had not been a head coach before. He was a defensive coordinator. We'd already gone down that road. Um, so you're kind of seeing the results of that at Rutgers, though, where you know Rutgers wanted to hire um, you know, a, a quality offensive coordinator to fix it. I don't really know John McNulty's bona fides, um, but I don't necessarily think they're that good at the moment. Um, Dino might be faced with a similar question on the other side of the ball if uh, if this four two five experiment doesn't work out. Of okay, like you know you're an offensive expert now you need to hire a defensive expert to bounce that out. This is the same thing. Ash is kind of falling into the same uh, trap that uh, that that Scott Schaefer did. Not you know the, the knowing what you don't know situation um, and, and and hiring accordingly. And the best offensive or defensive coaches are the ones that are able to hire really well on the other side of the ball that they're not necessarily experts at. Yeah, and it's tough for Babers because he was a head coach and he did bring in basically the entire coaching staff. So he was bringing in a defense that worked for him elsewhere, 
I'm at least glad, and, and obviously there are concerns with, with balancing recruiting and like results on the field uh, with the staff that we have in place. I am glad to see us making a pretty radical change because clearly like the first two years just have not produced the results. Um, so before we make like a big coaching change, at least we are like trying something new um, and seeing if we can, can get the most out of the roster we have. Not to make this all about Syracuse. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a Syracuse podcast, and, and considering how often we make it not about Syracuse when it is about Syracuse, um, this isn't the worst idea to at least relate it back to us a little bit. Yeah. Um, all right. Like we said, Illinois exists. They're trash. Um, other, they're really bad. Yeah. Their other podcasts have done a better job of talking about just how bad they are. Um, I don't think we need to talk about most of these teams. Um, moving up, I think we talked about Maryland a little bit. Uh, we'll have much more to say about them next year, to be honest, so I'd rather just waste that time on the Terps then. Um, Nebraska. Uh, Scott Frost comes in. He uh, he could get this team back to competent in a hurry. Um, they bring back a lot oh, on defense. Yes. He did. They went, they went 0 from 0-12 and 12 to 6-6 six and six in one year. The caveat, the caveat on the 0-12, if only because, um, you know, O'Leary basically quit on the team. Yes, and there was and a lot of talent, talent there. Yeah. They weren't that removed from being. They weren't that far removed from being pretty good. Yeah. So, so to keep that in mind, still, I do think. Uh, I don't think Northwestern's heading for a uh, Big West title, Big Ten West title necessarily. But uh, looking at the schedule, like they could start three and zero, potentially. I mean, if they, if they had faced Akron, Colorado, and Troy um, in the first three weeks last year, I would have potentially given them a one and two start yeah i mean they didn't they face troy last year uh they did not they last year they started with arkansas state oregon and northern illinois arkansas state is what it was yeah and they barely beat arkansas state they lost to oregon and they lost northern illinois and that's when you knew that uh that old what's his face was getting fired yeah and even now this isn't like akron obviously has fallen back a bit since like they're uh, hey, heyday. <laughs> They're not not terribleness under Terry Bowden. Um, Colorado is a big question mark this year. We'll get to them in a couple weeks. Um, Troy is always very good, and we've talked about Neil Brown a lot. Like he's like beating Nebraska even in its diminished state could it could be huge for him personally. Uh, in his uh, never-ending quest to get a big head coaching job, despite the fact that he could have gotten money the last two years, but the market's been weird. So yeah, I, I think the. Uh, I think it's actually. I think Troy is probably the the scariest of these games. Like Colorado, you're not going to have to talk your team into getting up for. I don't think they're a Pac-12 opponent. They're a historical rival. Akron, they should just walk over. I'm not too worried about Akron. Um, Troy's going to be tough. Troy's going to really be out for blood. Yeah, I, I could and see. It's a little bit of a look ahead spot to Michigan. It is. Yeah, this schedule is going to be challenging. Um, I give them. I, I'll give them the first three, and I'll give them Illinois and Minnesota. So that's five. Um, and that again, yeah, that's a little puncher's chance. It's Purdue, like Purdue, I like, but it's Purdue at home. They'll really want that win, especially because um, they'll probably be coming off of a pretty ugly game at Michigan and Las Michigan. It's not very good. Yeah, I, I'd say that if they win the games they're supposed to, and they lose the games they're supposed to, the, the flex is going to be at Iowa and Purdue. Uh, yeah, and what they can do against those two teams, um, I could see them winning one of those and getting to six and six without. Assuming they win the games again, win the games are supposed to, and lose the games that they're supposed to. Yeah, you really want to get that Purdue win because I would not want bowl eligibility up for grabs in a game at Iowa on the day after Thanksgiving. No. Kinnick, I mean, I don't know if we're going to transition into Iowa here. Sure. Kinnick Stadium is a terrible place. Terrible place for opposing teams. 
Now, Nebraska doesn't really fit the bill because they are not going to be a top-five team uh, unless something crazy happens in on November 23rd. But road teams do not fare well there. No. And, and Iowa in general, I mean, this defense, this thing, defense brings back quite a bit. Uh, the offense brings back enough. Uh, I think, too, like Iowa, where, where this Iowa, real brand of Iowa, um, differs from probably, you know, what we what we were used to with the Hawkeyes is that this recruiting has actually become like top 35 to 40 um, on a consistent basis. I was able to bring in a couple four stars every year. Uh, they're really doing a great job with the offensive line, um, with the running back position. Really, as long as you do those two well um, and then get enough three, high, three to high three star players um, on the defensive end, like the Hawkeyes are good. Um, and I think they can win, you know, eight, maybe nine games some years. Um, you'll, I guess eventually, you know, sometimes you'll have those wacky-ass, you know, 12-0 and 0 seasons like they did uh, a couple years back. But um, Iowa seems pretty dangerous again, um, if only because of the division they're in. I would say if it wasn't for Wisconsin, you, I mean, if, and if Iowa could jump up and beat Wisconsin, who knows? But I, I think Iowa's firmly entrenched in that, uh, that two-spot Unless North, unless Northwestern like finds a way to get something together this year, yeah, I like Iowa more than Northwestern this season. They the schedule I think helps them. They have Wisconsin at home, which is a class. It's probably not late enough in the season, but that is like the classic um, big time team, probably top ten team comes to Kinnick. I don't know if that'll be. I mean, I don't think the schedule is that out that far yet. But if that's a night game, that's a real spooky spot for Wisconsin. Iowa State is actually going to be a really fun game. Uh, El Asico is going to be probably <laughs> one of the more entertaining games of the first couple weeks. Um, and then the road games are really manageable, except for Penn State. Um, at Minnesota, at Indiana, Purdue's going to be tough. And then out Illinois, like, you should be able to get three of those for sure. At Penn State's the toughest game of the schedule. But then Northwestern at home, Nebraska at home. Uh, uh, should be relatively easy when it's Maryland. And then you have Iowa State, Northern Iowa, Northern Illinois. Like, there are a lot of wins in the schedule. Um, I don't think they're going to be good enough to pass Wisconsin, even if they pull up that upset. But um, if they could win eight or nine games this year without really yeah. batting an eye. Yeah, and they, they've kind of like sneakily elevated themselves to where like a couple of years back, before that that Rose Bowl run, like there were a lot of like five six win years in there. Now it's I was kind of raised their game a little bit to where they're they're sitting at like eight or nine wins is a pretty attainable thing most seasons. Yeah, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah, and I mean, and that's also a product of the division they're in. The Big Ten West obviously has its flaws. Um, one of them being that, like, there is, I mean, there is one traditional power in in the, in the division in in uh, Nebraska, but they've been pretty down lately. That's led to, in part, uh, how Wisconsin has been able to turn into a, now a perennial top ten contender. And I think this year is the year they break through for playoff bid. I can I can see it. I. I uh... I still have questions about Hornibrook. I, there's something about like that brand of quarterback, and there are a lot of them in the Big Ten. I actually like Nate Stanley at Iowa, who's similar, but like Hornibrook and Lewerke in Michigan State specifically, like their numbers are good, and I've watched enough of their games. I should know they're good, and I just can't quite get it. <laughs> but then like I was looking at Wisconsin stuff on the way home today, and like the most shocking thing, and I read most of Bill C's uh, Big Ten stuff. Um, the most shocking single number is that Wisconsin was seventh in passing S and P last year. How in the country? Not in the Big Ten. How? Like, that's nuts. 
And and uh, the the good point he made is that they they get really manageable third downs, which it makes sense because their running game is unbelievable. Um, so basically, they were just setting um, thirds and threes all the time. Hornibrook was really good at converting. Yeah, they're seventh passing SMP and they're first in third down SMP. Like they just move the chain. They're a machine. Their defense was really good. Um, they on defense they kind of do the same exact thing that their offense is good at, which is staying out of uh, bad situations and bad passing downs. On defense, they just put teams in bad situations and bad passing downs, and they turn them over on downs or they force punts. They they were just a real impressive machine last year, and they should be pretty similar this season. Yeah, I mean honestly, like if we're since we're gonna do a quick Wisconsin thing here, um, Wisconsin's definitely a national title contender, which is weird to say. Hornybrook is not a great quarterback, but he's an efficient quarterback. He's your 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 stock, Ohio State aside, um, Big Ten quarterback. This defense is always good. This offensive line is always good. Jonathan Taylor is a potential Heisman candidate. This team is is, is going to be your stock Wisconsin team, but but except with a lot more talent than than they once had. Um, and and I've I've been impressed with the with what the Badgers. As much as I was impressed with what I was done of late with their program and their stock, I think Wisconsin's done something even better and even more impressive. Um, I think they're the class of that division until proven otherwise. And maybe you have to wait a year or two for the liftoff. Um, at Nebraska, but um, Wisconsin is is going to be the uh, the odds-on favorite to win that division um, until further notice. Um, and this year's schedule is super manageable for them. Toughest games at Michigan, at Penn State. Um, so I think really the floor and like barring an upset, you know, against Nebraska or at Iowa or at Northwestern, those aren't easy games. But um, I think the floor is still ten wins for Wisconsin this year, which is impressive as hell um and if they can knock off michigan and i think they can um you're looking at an 11 or even a 12 win team potentially headed indianapolis yeah i mean the 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 tough teams are at iowa at michigan at penn state and like there's they should win the west um the question is once they get there are they in position to make it to the playoff when they play in the championship game and will they beat a Either, you know, there are four teams that could be there, but, you know, for for, for uh, sake of the debate, like, can they beat Ohio State? I think they can. I think... I don't think they, they will, play, but... Yeah, they have to play their A game, which is tough. Ohio State is just has another level of talent, but um, there are questions there, and Wisconsin, I think we know exactly who they are, and they've just been so consistently good for so long now. Um, and they, they just play within their system, and it doesn't really seem to matter who's playing there or who's coaching there. They they just get, you know, they're exactly who they want to be every single year, um, especially recently. Like, Paul Chris was like, I didn't really think anything of him at Pitt, and he has elevated them from where they were under Gary Anderson, which is obviously a weird situation, and honestly, like, most of the Bielema uh, tenure for sure. So, like, it's, it's just super impressive what they've maintained there especially given like some of the limitations we've heard about in terms of academics and whatnot that have driven other churches out. I do wonder like eventually when do they stop being like, when, 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 when does the, the, the worm turn and when do they get frustrated if they aren't able to break through the playoff? But there is a, a definite opportunity for it here. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, the, the next two years of Hornybrook and, and, uh, and Jonathan Taylor uh, do really create um, a unique window for them. Um, obviously, though, they're, they're up against, you know, the, the buzzsaw that is an Urban Meyer Ohio State team. Uh, and we're going to get back to, I think, the Michigan, Michigan State, Northwestern group um, last. But uh, I think it's worth talking about Ohio State. 
they are one of the uh, probably three or four teams that are they're likely to win the national championship. They do seem like a playoff team. Nick Bosa is one of the best defenders in the country. Um, Haskins is going to be the real question mark for them while they have players like J.K. Dobbins just absolutely bulldozing everyone in front of them. But Haskins is going to be the real question. I think people like what they have seen in short glimpses from him. But I, yeah, this, this, this team is going to rise and fall on what the quarterback position can do. And it's never been a problem before. Urban Meyer has been able to plug in pretty much anybody just because of the quality of player he gets here. Um, but I, I'm intrigued by what Ohio State's going to do. And I always, I still love the fact that, that even though I don't love Ohio State, I love the fact that Ohio State's been able to play a completely different brand of football than everybody else in this division. Um, and for some reason, nobody else is really copying it. Yeah, they're kind of like a unique entity in, onto themselves. Um, like, obviously, they have spread principles, but they, they also do a really nice job of um, making the team, like, remaking the team on a year-to-year basis. Like, if Ezekiel Elliott's to die there, they, they make the offense around him because he's such a, you know, triple threat. Uh, versus, you know, if you have Cardale Jones in there versus JT Barrett versus Bradson Miller, like, um, Meyer's really good on the fly uh, in terms of, of readjusting his offense. Now, there were some instances where Barrett seemed like he was being used the best possible way, uh, and he had like a couple of just really, really awful moments, um, where, which led leads some people to like actually be excited about the, the Hastings move here. Um, and he looked great when he filled in in the Michigan game, led them from behind to beat Michigan last season. So he's, he's not super tested, but he did go into a very high-pressure situation with very little experience and won a game against their arch rival. So that's you know not a bad sign. Has, I mean, Hassan's is the obvious question, but they return so much around him. Uh, you brought up J.K. Dobbins, who's a Heisman contender. Mike Weber is the other running back who would start for, like, 120 teams in the country. I think they bring back, like, two all-conference offensive linemen and then a third, three, uh, two other guys with experience. Um, and then defensively, like, a ton of experience coming back. Uh, they, they lose, you know, a couple NFL guys, but um, I think they have, like, five or six guys with a lot of starting experience. Plus, you know, you have Nick Bosa, who's one of the two or three best players, probably regardless of position in the country. And they added Alex Grinch to their coaching staff when they already have Verciano. Like, how dumb is that? Yeah, I, uh, embarrassment of riches in, in, in any and all ways um, over there. He so. was going to be the head coach of Washington State if Leach left. I know. And will probably be a head coach in the next two years. And he's coming to be, like, a backup defensive coordinator. <laughs> like, I think he's coaching like safeties, and he took a pay raise to go from being a Pac-12 defensive coordinator on the verge of being a head coach to like probably one or two years at Urban Meyer summer camp. It's just it's ridiculous. Um, they're just so talented. The question is if Hastings is ready, is is up to it, um, and if he is, like they are. Uh, I mean, they're they're going to be a national championship contender for the foreseeable future. This year is no different. Yeah, and I mean they really get to. I'm not going to go any more into Ohio State than we need to here, but uh, every game on this schedule is, is super winnable. There's really two big potholes on top of just the rivalry game with Michigan, um, and that depends on what you think of Wolverines. At Michigan State on November 10th seems like a trap, um, and at Penn State on September 29th, you get you win those two. If you tell me that Ohio State definitely wins those two games, they're going undefeated, um, at least in the regular season. Yeah, at TCU is tough, but it's also not a true road game, and I'm not super. I, I like TCU a lot. I just don't think they have the. They, they're kind of like Michigan State for me, or 
I mean, I think Michigan has a lot more talent, but like I think I think TCU and Michigan State are similar, where they're going to be really well coached and they're going to be uh, they're going to do the right things to win the game. It's just a matter of whether they can overcome the talent that Ohio State has. Oh, completely. Um, yeah. So that one's not. I mean, if that one was in Fort uh, was was uh, was that Amon Carter, I, I think it'd be a lot more interesting. Um, I think honestly, that crowd will probably be like 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. TCU have the, the, the obvious location advantage, but Ohio State has way more fans. <laughs> right. And they'll, and they'll travel. Yeah, and I mean, TCU obviously can just drive down the road. It's not the it's not a question of whether they can do that. It's just because it's going to be such a larger stadium, um, Ohio State fans can fill that place. I mean, just look at any time Ohio State's been in the Cotton Bowl, uh, their national I mean, championship yeah, abilities. I mean, they had a ton of fans yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah, they, they'll, they'll be fine. Um, Wrapping us up here, uh, I think I want to talk about kind of like the, the four-team, like, fun – I think that's the most the four most fun teams, even if I probably hate two of these athletic departments. Um, Michigan State and Penn State. Uh, Michigan State brings back virtually everybody from a team that made a bowl game, looked pretty good doing it. I Bill think – Bill C. said uh, on defense they have a level of continuity that almost no one can match. I think they bring back – all but like two guys that had nine or more tackles and those two guys were like good but not like superstar players right yeah i i have full faith in michigan state being able to to not just replicate but but surpass what they did last year um the, the only pitfall for them uh just like the only pitfall for penn state really is just the division you're in if penn state or michigan state were in most of the other divisions in college football um they'd be the favorites to win it yeah the east is just so tough at some point like i think we talked about it with all these conferences but at some point, you just we just needed to ditch divisions, and it would just be so much more interesting if we didn't have to worry about the the alignments because Big Ten can be so interesting, and four of the five best teams arguably are in one division. Like, and it's going to be that way for a while. I mean, it's been, it's not like a new thing. It's obviously there are shifts, and Nebraska we hope will rise up, and that's like the the goal of this this breakdown. But I mean, as long as you have Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State in one one division, like. There's a very good chance on any given year those are the four best teams in the whole conference. Right. But, yeah, um, I guess a quick thing on Penn State uh, so we can move right along. Um, A, do you think Trace McSorley is a Heisman contender? And, B, do you think Miles Sanders can do any sort of impression um, of Saquon Barkley or at least enough to to make this offense uh, continue uh, running at the clip it was? Yes, and... I wouldn't say impression. I think Miles Sanders could be incredibly effective. I think odds are he's a very different player than Barkley, who was so boom or bust. Not bust, really. He was like boom or there weren't a lot of like really nice seven-yard runs. Like right. he was just exploding for 60, like four. Um, I think the biggest question with Penn State, and it actually mirrors what Ohio State had a couple years ago, is if the loss of Joe Moorhead just kind of not derails their offense. I mean, it could in their case. Ohio State didn't derail their offense when they lost Tom Herman. But JT Barrett had his best year as a retro freshman under Tom Herman and was not the same afterwards. He was good. He was not as he was a Heisman contender the one year under Herman. Does losing Joe Moorhead to Mississippi State, um, I, I, I trust McSorley actually more than I trusted than I trust Barrett, or trusted Barrett. He's in the NFL now. Uh, but I, I just don't know if the offense will continue to tip because if you remember, before Moorhead was brought in from Fordham, like, thing was a disaster. Was, Franklin was like a week or two from being fired. No, totally. <laughs> was, he was like the on the hottest possible seat. Uh, after that, I mean, the one game that will forever stay with me is when Temple, um, I think, had a two-man rush and sacked uh, Christian Hackenberg with six protectors, and they lost to Temple. I looked up that gif like a couple weeks ago, and it's still amazing. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously Ohio State was able to know, like, they can go hire whoever they want. They have Tom Wilson there now. I don't know that Penn State will have the same luxury. Who is their offensive coordinator now? The offensive coordinator is Ricky Rain. Ricky Rain. Ooh, I could not tell you anything about him. But yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I think that the Moorhead departure is not really being talked about enough uh, when people evaluate Penn State this year. Um, they lost two games with him, um, and that was with Saquon Barkley, who was you know one of the top five picks in the NFL draft. And Deshaun Hamilton and Mike Gusecki and obviously Chase McSorley. And yeah, most of this defense. And <laughs> there's, I mean, they're obviously bringing in talent at Penn State, but there's a lot to replace. And I just, I could see them going nine and three this year. That's... That's that's really that shouldn't be discounted as a possibility. No, it's definitely in, in the cards. I mean, just losing a, a really dynamic offensive coordinator can really hurt any program. I mean, that shouldn't that should be more obvious than it is. Um, I think the the big difference between you know before Moorhead got there and now is a talent uptick is is really big. They're recruiting at a top ten level now. Before they were probably like a top 20, 25 level. Um, so hopefully that will offset it for them. Um, and by hopefully, I mean I don't care because i don't like penn state um but nor should anyone uh, yeah um a nine or three season though like i feel like that would probably be fairly disappointing for nittany lion fans but i don't know that it should be based on the schedule like it, they they really have a tough one um especially this run in the middle they host ohio state they host michigan state at indiana um i don't think indiana will beat them but i could easily see that being like a one touchdown game because it's packaged right between so many big games and then they bring in Iowa which they should handle at home but then at Michigan versus Wisconsin like that's a brutal run all the way from September 29 to November 10th and they're just lucky they have most of them at home right all right because we're getting late and because we've been doing this for a while uh I'm doing one question about each of the last two teams and then we're done um will Michigan finish better than third in this division no I think they'll finish third same uh, Northwestern, will they win more games than Michigan? No. See, I actually think yes. I have to look at the two schedules, but I'm just I'm projecting. That's fair. I don't blame you there. Um, cool. Well, that was the Big Ten preview. Um, <laughs> uh, Dan, he, Northwestern with the amount of the amount of uh, focus that they deserve. Honestly, like I would have talked about Northwestern a lot more. We just kind of ran out of time. This is what happens when you have 14 goddamn teams. Um, anyway, um, Dan, who do you see win the division? Ohio State or well, oh, the, uh, the uh, conference? Ohio State or uh, Wisconsin? I'm rooting Wisconsin. I think it'll be Ohio State. Same here. Um, and I like Ohio State. I feel like I should dislike more, but they're they're very fun to watch. <laughs> they are. I I hate them it's one so of those much. Things. But like, they're, you they're don't want to like Ohio State. They're they're a lot of fun when they're good. Agreed. Um, all right, uh, so th- that's the story, and we're sticking to it. Um, we'll see you guys next week. There should be a decent amount of things to talk about coming out of uh, ACC football kickoff and Dino Babers t- saying things. I'm sure somebody else in college football will say something dumb, even if it's not in the same level of um, Larry Fedora. And we're talking SEC, so that also obviously brings its own um, collection of, uh, of entertainment value next week for sure. This is the podcast that ranks the SEC uh, behind the Pac-12. Ha! Take that. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and we are getting dangerously close to talking about actual orange football. Yes, we are. Go orange in the future. Go orange.
At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.